What's up, everybody? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Pixelist Podcast. We're back. We're chatting a little bit. We're going to be talking about not Loki, although I did just watch Loki and Will. The feelings are raw. They're raw. We, it's the only way to describe it. The tear ducks, they got they got a little exercise tonight. That's all I'll say about it. But uh, we're recording this episode a little late because I went out of town. So the way this happened is we both just watched Loki episode four, but we can't talk about it. It's not time for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We'll be talking about that tomorrow. <laughs> tonight, wait, we're not talking about Loki. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about a little bit of EXU. Exandria Unlimited. Yay! Yes, sir. <laughs> we're not usually like frat boy esque in our <laughs> podcast, but I feel like right now we're vibing with like the hoo hoo hoo, you know. Yeah, we're talking about some uh, critical role tonight, some Exandria Unlimited. If you're not familiar with the show, it is basically it is going to be a uh, I call it short form. It's not no episode is short, but a um, shorter season esque game show type um it's not even right to call it a game show but for someone who isn't familiar with like D, &D for example uh it's where a bunch of people get together who are incredibly talented they're amazing voice actors and they play dungeons and dragons and play out this amazing story for all of us to enjoy and so i am blake your co-host and across from me who is I'm, that i'm will the the other co-host and Together, we create the Pixelist, kind of like Captain Planet, but cooler. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to be talking about episode one. This is our deep dive discussion on episode one of Exandria Unlimited. By the way, if you've never checked out a Critical Role episode, if you've never um, even played D&D, &D, what a perfect time to get involved, to get engaged. We're going to be talking about all things yes. amazing about not just episode one, but about D&D &D in general today. And uh we're glad to have you along for the ride. So welcome. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome. And uh, hopefully you're like us and we like to deep dive on all the things we enjoy, watch, theorize, you know, so that's what this is going to be about. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know where we should start here. Uh, I guess. What do, you, what do you think? I, I guess. Well, maybe, maybe. So let's, let's, let's get the cards on the table to start here. Okay. okay. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to come across as more of a CR savant than I really am. <laughs> uh, Exandria Unlimited is going to be my first full go at a season or a mini season of Critical Role. I've seen some episodes in the past. I'm a big Critical Role fan, but, but Woot, I think you're the ultimate Critical Role fan. I gave my version of what Critical Role is. Do you want to talk a little bit about Critical Role, its history? Just for the person who's listening, who's like, yeah, I've never watched this. I don't know what it is. You know, what the heck are we getting into tonight? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give it a crack. So um, here we go. Long and the short of it is uh, Critical Role is a Twitch streamed Dungeons and Dragons game, like Blake said. Uh, it was started... Um, if you by chance know who Felicia Day is, she is a kind of a she's kind of a, an icon in like the nerdy, the nerdy culture segment of the Internet. Um, but not too important. But she approached uh, Matt Mercer, who is the creator of Critical Role, um, and they were just a bunch of voice actors playing D&D &D at home just for fun on their own time. And Felicia Day approached them was like, hey, what if we streamed this on Twitch? And basically the rest is history. They started doing that and. 
like four or five years ago, I guess now. Mm-hmm. And it has just skyrocketed in popularity since they've uh, since launched out on their own, created their own business. They've got comic books, uh, mm-hmm. uh, narrative books now, uh, board games. Uh, com- I think I already said comic books. Um, and a, they got and, merch. Yeah, merch, all types, which we're wearing here. And uh, they've even got an animated TV show coming based on their first D&D game, which they have now finished. They've now actually finished two entire campaigns of D&D, the second of mm-hmm. which just recently ended. And um, before the third one starts, which is like their flagship mm-hmm. enterprise is these these massive D&D campaigns um, that is coming soon. But in the interim, we are getting this Exandria Unlimited, which is what we're going to be talking about here today. And it is a slightly different crew of people than the main ones from the other two campaigns. Um, But it's about half and half, actually. Half new Mm -hmm. people, half old people. And it's going to be a limited series. Only eight episodes. um, Whereas in the past, campaigns have literally been over 100. Uh, So it is very long form uh, content. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say this is this is um, content that is being followed and enjoyed by millions of people around the world, uh, and it's pretty amazing how much CR has grown into this massive, incredible uh, brand. Really, uh, will you just just for the sake? Because I know a lot of people listening probably they may, they may even know what it is. They're like, "Yep, I got it." But again, for people who maybe they maybe they just like the Pixelist, they're just like, "Hey, I like you two guys," and I don't really know what what this is can you define exactly what a campaign is like what are we really getting into when we're like right now we're in we're stepping into a mini campaign this is sort of tied us over until campaign three and then and you can do this in any order what what is when people play D and when they play dungeons and dragons what what do we expect when that happens i mean because if you think about this you just said a campaign was like over 100 episodes so if i haven't played D, i'm thinking what are you what are you even doing like what's happening like what what is this thing yeah okay so D is a tabletop role-playing game and essentially what it is if you could boil it down is collaborative storytelling, especially when you have, like we do here, a cast of talented actors and voice actors that are the ones playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's basically, there's two roles here. There's the DM or GM dungeon master slash game master. And then there's the players. Um, the players are, they create their own character. There's, so for everything I'm saying here, there's a list of like rules and mechanics, which are basically like the boundaries for how, things work um and so they create their characters which have different abilities different stats if you're thinking about it in a video game-esque way uh and then there is the gm dm dungeon master who literally controls everything and everyone else so as a player you're in control of your one person and you get to choose exactly what they do how they are what kind of personality they have everything and you can Uh you can literally do anything you want assuming it fits within the boundaries and rules of the game uh Uh, and it's it's the dm's uh job and and uh uh it's up to their discretion to decide Uh how things play out here it's it's almost like it's almost like a play i've i've Told some people that like if you just went to a show and decided to watch a play, it's almost exactly like that, except it's it's all audio, if that makes sense. Like right. an audio book. Um right. 
And well, so, my wife. Or sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, go no, ahead. go ahead. I'm just kind of jabbering. Well, I was going to say, my wife, she doesn't know anything about D&D, and we watched an episode together, and she was like, she loves to act, she loves plays, loves all this stuff, and didn't know what it was, but I love how you described it. It's sort of this collaborative story, and she was like, this is awesome. Like, this is really cool. Like, I want to play D&D, uh, and I think it's, it's maybe sometimes it gets a bad rap, you know, and, and I don't want to get too into the weeds on that, but... You know, obviously there's a lot of, um, like I had a, a sibling or a, uh, excuse me, a, uh, in-law who their, uh, kid was getting into it. And the mom was like, can we trust this? Is it okay? Is it safe? And so there's a lot of like weird negative momentum yeah. that have, has been perpetuated about the D and D brand. Um, but for you, those of you listening, it, it, my, my co-host Woot described it perfectly. It really is a collaborative story, this incredible imaginative world that, uh, we, as the viewer, we get to just be along for the ride, you know? Yeah. It, it's essentially just a group of people in this case, you know, uh, I think six total, six friends, mm -hmm. just telling a story together using their imaginations and D and D just serves as the, the rule set, the, the, right the laws of how things work instead of saying like i fly up in the air and kill everyone story over you can't do that <laughs> because there are there are rules in this world but there's yeah. a mom listening who's like i knew this i knew this was evil <laughs> <laughs> now what's 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 a campaign what, what, what do we what's the when we use that terminology what are we talking about yeah so um dnd you can sit down and play one time and you know, in that one session that you're playing, start to finish, have a whole story, and you'll be done. A campaign refers to uh, an entire arc of stories that may take place over 10, 20, or in Critical Role's case, 150 sessions. And just for some reference here, at least in Critical Role's case, each episode or session is usually about three hours long. So we're talking a campaign is probably longer than any show you've ever watched in your life so uh in in this case for exandria unlimited it's only going to be eight episodes but uh so we'll have a full i mean i'm assuming i guess we'll see what happens but we'll have a full start to finish kind of story arc that mm -hmm. that unfolds yeah it's like and i've heard you describe it this way it's like discovering a freaking phenomenal show and then realizing there's like 15 seasons of <laughs> yeah. it and so it's like, wow, I have so much awesome storytelling to power through and listen to and engage with. Um, so that's that's sort of the background of, of what D&D is, what Critical Role is. And I tell you, if you're listening to this episode of the Pixelist podcast and you're curious, you haven't ever checked it out before, but you think you might want to... I would encourage you to actually hit that pause button and go check out the VOD of episode one of Exandria Unlimited. It's called The Nameless Ones. And I'd encourage you to watch it all the way through. You don't have to watch it in one setting. It's actually really easy to pause and step away and come back to it. But I'd ask you to go ahead and watch that episode because we're doing a deep dive on episode one, the most awesome parts, what we loved. And then more importantly, like the Pixelists do, we're going to be putting a magnifying glass to it and thinking about, okay, where do we go from here? What do we think? about this um so that is your warning your spoiler warning to just know that from this moment forward we're talking about what happened in episode one the nameless ones of exandria unlimited mm. Woot, are you ready so professional you are it's just thank you <laughs> it's impressive and yes i'm ready and actually let me hop on one thing you were saying there that 
uh, because of the length of the episodes we were just talking about, it is kind of daunting, especially in the campaigns cases. If you have 150 episodes of three hour content, it's like, I'll never see this. If that's how you feel right now is the perfect time to jump in, because like I said, this is only eight episodes long, so mm-hmm. it's it's not that daunting. It's not that big of a commitment. Give it a try. See if you like it. And if you do, you know, join us for campaign three starting sometime this year, I imagine. Um, yeah, I think later in the year for sure. Yeah. And uh, a couple other quick disclaimers, just in terms of our uh, a bit of our role in this conversation. So Woot, my co-host, is the experienced critical role D&D guy between the two of us. And so there will be some moments that we do callbacks to maybe previous campaign content. Uh, will will be the one to really know what's happening there, what's going on there. Uh, I unfortunately have not seen uh, very much of, of uh, campaign one or two uh and then also with that um no actually that is that is the disclaimer that's the main thing i, was, I wanted to say was um i'm i'm experiencing for, for those of you who you're watching it for the first time i'm there with you part of the journey part of the ride and uh will will be our north star on exactly what's happening if there's things that are fuzzy or not immediately clear i'm so glad you said that because i meant to say that too we i feel like we've got an interesting dynamic here because like i've I'm super familiar with it and you're kind of fresh. So I feel like we got two like good perspectives and on the note of spoilers, as far as from campaign one and two, I think, I think with this, they aren't going to really go there because they don't want to spoil stuff themselves. So for any Easter eggs or references, just know that like, if, if I do bring them up or if I talk about them, I will do it in the, I will, I will stay within the same constraints that the cast of Exandria unlimited has stayed in. So um unless unless like you blake or just somebody has a really specific question then i will answer that but we'll give a warning so Mm -hmm. i guess let's say that perfect um yeah with that said let's talk episode one of exandria unlimited the nameless ones we should like cue in like some theme music or something i was just imagining like we have an epic intro that cuts in right there Well, uh, so Will and I were talking about, okay, what what should this conversation look like? And we think maybe a good starting point would be just to do a very brief overview of the episode. Um, and, and by the way, we haven't done long form content like this where, I mean, because episode, the runtime is four and a half hours. So it's a lot to pick through. So we're going to try to sort of figure out the vibe of going through it finding our pacing with it. And so with that said, we're probably not going to hit on every detail, but you as the viewer, if you pick up on something that's freaking phenomenal, you're like, oh, you got to mention this. Definitely let us know in the comments. Tell us about it. We want to make sure we circle back to it as well. But having said that, um, we're just figuring this out as we go. And so we're going to do a very brief description of the episode just so that um, four and a half hours doesn't become like a a 60 minute podcast where the whole thing's the description. So um, I'll be really brief in the description and then it may be in like future episodes. Maybe we find a better balance of diving into it. Yeah. Uh, and then we would feel free to jump in as well if I um, miss anything important. So okay. um, the episode opens up in the world of Exandria. And one of the amazing things about this show is as the, the GM who's sort of like the narrator, they're the storyteller. Um, we have Amy, who is our DM, and if you've never followed D and D, you won't know oh, any different. Abria, Abria, Abria. Amy Excuse is the me. new Amy player. Is, Amy is Opal, <laughs> of course. Um, thank you. I've already see. I've already flubbed it, man. Now the <laughs> now the vibe's totally thrown. So, 
So she's the DMD, excuse me, the DM. <laughs> and um, it, which if you've never watched D&D before, if you've never watched Critical Role, you're not going to think anything of it. If you've watched Campaign 1 and 2, this is going to be a total shift because Matt Mercer has always been the DM. In fact, that's that's the role he has consistently played to the point of he's released a ton of content on how can you be a great DM uh, even in your own games that you're running on your own. But so she's running as the, the dungeon master and she basically paints this town this sort of rainy cozy town that our adventurers wake up in and they have i think it as their party house but um they called it uh not a condo the penthouse yeah right and it's these five adventurers we're not totally sure on how they met which by the way that first episode of anyone's campaign can be a bit awkward and fuzzy because you're trying to you're trying to explain okay why are we all playing together like yes we as friends were here but like for our characters we've created what's the reason right. that we're together right so so we we find out that they've met up at some point in the past and for whatever reason the five of them have been like yeah let's party like they've apparently hit it off and they have spent the last week in this town in this penthouse presumably uh just having a great time just enjoying one another's company um there's a joke later on in the episode where someone says um uh i believe it's orem says uh you know i've known you for uh seven days and i don't remember six of those you know something to that effect and uh Dariax replies with yeah that's most of my friendships that's how i <laughs> that's how i bond with people i guess so a lot of the start of the episode is introducing characters uh, and I'll go ahead and say who are the five characters that we see um, in this episode. Uh, we have, which by the way, every character starts at level two. If you're unfamiliar with D&D, there is a character progression system. It's You're not just storytelling for the sake of storytelling. You're also advancing your character. And it's this really fun sense of um, progression, but also maturing of your character. It's like, okay, I'm taking the story somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the characters all start at level two, and that's because typically um, level one is um, you... I, I, the way I've heard Matt Mercer describe it, Will, is that there's you don't have a lot of options on what you can do. It's also frankly, a bit dangerous for your character because you don't have a lot of health. Yeah. Um, do you want to add anything to that? I mean, you pretty much covered it. It's a lot of a lot of campaigns start at level two because level one, you're essentially just like a normal person. And it's it's honestly not even fun, really. Well, not to say mm. it's not fun. It, it can be fun, but it's, it's just better to start at two. The players have more agency with like what their specific class offers. Like they can actually do more. And it's just... It's just a better place to start, honestly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the at level two, and we have um, five characters who are um, being led by Abria, our, our DM, our dungeon master. We have um, Amy, who plays Opal, who is a human warlock. And again, we'll mention how in D&D there's a sort of a format or a rule set. Part of that is you are choosing your character's race. You're choosing their, you can think of like their class as sort of like their inherent skill set. So if you, and and I apologize because the people who are listening, if you're like a diehard D&D fan, you're probably like, dude, we get it. We get it. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go. But I'm also coming from like my wife who's just experiencing for the first time. And so like explaining like what a ranger is, I'm like, okay, that's, 
it's like explaining like in Lord of the Rings, Gimli versus Legolas, yeah, um, versus Aragorn. Um, so like explaining like these character archetypes, helping them understand. Okay, that's that's sort of what we mean by character class. So Amy is Opal. She's a human warlock. Um, Robbie uh, is Dorian Storm, who's an heir genasi. Uh, and he's a bard. We have Ashley Johnson, who is playing Fern Calloway, who is a satyr, and she's a druid. We have our good friend Matthew Mercer, who's Ma- Matthew Mercer, excuse me, who's playing Dariax, who is a dwarf, and I believe is a mountain dwarf or a hill dwarf. Um, do you know, Will? No, I'm not sure. I didn't. I they've kind of been like keeping that close to the chest. Some of them with like their exact specifics. Also props to you on knowing the air Genasi thing. I wasn't sure if you were going to know it, but Robbie tweeted that that's what he was. I did. I did a little bit of research. I went, <laughs> I went to his Twitter only because I was trying to figure out how do you have blindside? What's going on here? Just like mm-hmm. many other people. But uh, yeah, so Matt Mercer is a dwarf and he is a sorcerer. And then we have, uh, it's probably not fair to say my personal favorite, Liam, who plays Orem, and he is a halfling fighter. Uh, and like I said, they're all under the um, leadership of Abria, who is the storyteller, who's the dungeon master. And so they are all in this town. We're not sure, and this is also part of the fun of the storytelling of the campaign, is you're also learning about origin stories, who are these people, what motivates them. Um, they come together, they're sort of passing around stories of what they remember from the night before and uh we have these really great uh we have this great scene of them um talking about some of the games they played uh including who could best pee off the edge of the (laughs) roof uh which you know they're just they're just talking about the fun that they're having and essentially what happens and again help me if i miss any details here Essentially what happens is they are trying to decide where to go like what's what's next where should we head next and Dariax essentially, um, what was it? He spins like his necklace or like uh, some trinket he has, and it points a direction. He's like, "Yeah, okay, that works for me." Yeah, because uh, they're trying to decide. I mean, they're like, "Let's go find some jobs. Let's go like we're adventurers. Like, let's go find something to do." Mm-hmm. And as they're about to head off, they notice a character who is in the shadows who comes up to the door of their penthouse behind them. And is sort of subtly doing something to the door and then and then sneaks off. And so they see this happen. They're like, whoa, what's going on here? Who is this person? They corner this individual and uh, they find out that um, I, I, I forgot the name of this character, by the way. Pasca. Uh, Pasca. Thank you. Um, and I'll also go ahead and I'll ask, I'll add a couple of details here that get really, they get revealed later, but just for the sake of the recap, we'll go ahead and mention them now. Posca is part of this thieves guild. Um, she reveals that, um, this very bleak perspective on the world, which is that the rich and those in powerful are essentially, um, orchestrating all events at the, uh disadvantage of those less fortunate and she's saying this almost sort of like in a propaganda-esque way to convince the adventurers hey don't you want you know if you guys stand for what's right or and it's not even so much of that it's it's more of like if you want to find worthy work then i have a job for you um and so what eventually happens they have this back and forth on can we really trust you do we really want to fight you um it's like who's really like what's really happening here 
And Posca eventually says, okay, if you want to be involved in, um, I'm trying not to make a Game of Thrones like breaking the wheel <laughs> type <laughs> reference. But that's kind of how this conversation goes. Yeah. So if you want to be part of this, you have to prove yourself, prove that we can trust you. And so I want you to go into town and I want you to steal something valuable. And so they're like, okay, this is interesting. We also see um, one of the first glimpses of our characters' personalities in this conversation where Orem, played by Caleb, basically says, wait, I don't, I, I don't understand. He has this great line where he says, you know, this conversation started as Robin Hood, you know, which is we're stealing from the rich to give to the poor to now like, and I don't remember the end of that statement, like robbing, <laughs> robbing something. Like we went from Robin Hood to now we're, we're common criminals, basically. Yeah. So we see his sort of alignment, his um, good nature about him, which is a bit of a contrast from everyone else who's like, hey, it's fine. You know, it's 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 good. You just have to stand there. If you, you know, as long as you don't personally steal something, it's all going to be good. So they all go to essentially the the merchant um, port area of this town and they're kind of um, uh, canvassing the area to figure out, OK, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to steal? They see this massive foreboding ship that um, the, even the wood itself is dark and ashen. Uh, Abria lets us know that this is a ship from a, an area of the world that is um, pretty hostile and pretty bleak. And they decide, I don't know why they didn't choose something more discreet, but they're like, okay, that's, that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to do. So they go to the ship, they sneak aboard. What's really strange about this is they have no business really in being all that stealthy. I mean, they're, they're sort of bumbling about as they're getting onto the ship. And which you'll find out, again, if you haven't played D&D, there's a bit of an expertise that's expected to do things in the story. When Will was talking about like the D&D rule set, like you can't as a character, you can't be like, hey, I'm gonna go pick up that boulder and like throw it across, you know, the town. There, there's a bit, there's a bit of a limitation there. So in the same way, you can't just be like, oh, I just sneak on and I just no one sees me and it's easy. So it's a bit already jarring that they're on this ship and no one seems to have noticed. Well, they go below deck. Um, it's pitch black. In fact, it's a magical darkness, which means it's not a natural darkness. It's this magical darkness that they can't see anything that's happening. And through one of the cantrips that is cast, they have this tiny little glimpse of light around Dariax's um, necklace. And they realize, okay, they're, they find basically the crew of the ship. And this is what I think is like, if you've never watched a Critical Role episode, this is like the, you know, holy hell moment. We were like, whoa, what is this? they realize that the entire crew is hanging in the cabin of this ship, throat slit, blood, you can hear it dripping. Yikes. I mean, it's, it's insane. And as they start to sort of scavenge the ship, there's a ghostly-esque character that they can sense. They know there's, some, there's someone there. Um, Orem basically uh, attacks out with his weapon, and the spirit seems to disappear. It's very strange. And as they try to determine what happened, they find this chest, this, this box, basically. And inside the box is this dark circlet. And what's interesting about it is uh, as they're thinking, okay, this thing looks like, this looks like the most valuable item here. Um, 
essentially what happens is uh, Dorian, our air genasi, tries to pick up the box. They're like, yeah, let's take this item. This thing's really cool. And immediately becomes incredibly ill, incredibly sick. So much to the point that he can't carry the box anymore. And he starts to vomit, not out of disgust. He starts, starts to vomit this supernatural-esque, dark, um, milky... Uh, or excuse me, not milky, oily substance that just it's risen up from his his chest. Um, Orem tries as well, has a very similar uh, experience, and then finally Dariax, who is being played by Matt Mercer, who is um, he's a bit of the comic relief of the party, but he's absolutely very neutral about um, right and wrong. It's almost a bit, a bit of a, a means to an end type character. He picks it up with no issue. He's like, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty easy. So as they're heading out of the ship, they've been told by Pasca to Pasca to take this item of value to um, a warehouse and then to mark it with a sigil that lets them know, hey, this is for you. As they're heading out of the ship, they see a couple of shadowy figures who are looking right at them who then poof and vanish in smoke. And then eventually they make it to the warehouse where um, Opal, they decide, you know what, this, this, there's something about this item that's really, it, it seems wrong to just give this away. And so yeah. they decide while they were in the ship, they scavenged it for a, um, uh, a bunch of platinum, which is, you can think of it as like from silver to gold. You can think of platinum as the next level higher than that. They decide to, pe to peel off part of the platinum they found and to throw that basically into the warehouse and say, hey, this is what we stole. It's some platinum. Here you go. Um, Opal, however, doesn't know what, a, um, what the inscription spell is. And so she just sort of draws it on, uh, <laughs> on the bag or on some paper or something to the bag, throws it in. Nothing seems to happen. They go back out, and that is when they sense these shadowy-esque figures again. They're chased into the warehouse. Uh, it's where we have our battle. We have this first fight of the series. And fortunately, our heroes, uh, they come out on top. And afterwards, they decide to sort of kind of figure out, okay, what's in this warehouse? And this is where you might have to help me, Will, because there was a callback here to a previous campaign that I didn't really get. Mm -hmm. They break into, in this warehouse, there's all sorts of stuff, but there's this one locked room. They break into it, and inside they find residuum, which is this crystal-like, um, not powder, but just like um, small crystals is how I understood it, that the way Orem describes it, it makes everything more of like it draws it creates more power where there is power it's sort of like this this artifact-esque type of of resource or mineral that um adds a ton of power to whatever i guess it's around uh and he says essentially this is from my hometown we should we should take this like this this should not be in the thieves guild's hand so in some ways they double cross pasca and uh, they leave with the residuum, and they leave with this circlet, and that is episode one of Exandria Unlimited. I don't know if I did it okay. I, I feel like, I was like, man, there's a lot in this episode that I didn't really <laughs> fully get from previous callbacks like residuum, but uh, hopefully that's a good description of episode one. No, that's great, man. And it's, like you said, it's four and a half hours long, so, <laughs> you know, we're gonna, it's gonna be impossible to get every nuance, but that was great. Yeah, that's... That was the episode. Um, 
the the only the only single thing is that that I would mention is at the end we get a little almost post credits scene where Abria explains what uh, Posca kind of shows up at the warehouse unbeknownst right. to the players and she realizes what's going on and she like speaks into like a magical walkie talkie essentially and says burn it down referring to their their penthouse from earlier mm-hmm. and um yeah that's that was it, that was it, does burn down. it just it catches up into flames yeah so which all right was super cool it was it was um where do you want to start i mean we it feels like there's two separate conversations here <clears throat> especially like from having followed reddit a lot of the conversation is is internal to the world of Exandria Unlimited. What's happening? Where does this go? What are our theories, which you and I, we love to theorize on, on what's going to happen. And then there's this other conversation, which is more on the actors themselves. And a lot of conversation on, um, on, the, on how people thought about like the pacing of the episode, the DM ship yeah. of the episode. Um, what, what do you think? Where should we start for I this think- episode let's start with the nuts and bolts meaning like the players the yada 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 and then we'll get into like the actual story um and i mean we don't need to spend too much time on this but i feel like we should kind of just go over each character and you know kind of say what we think or or whatever you know Mm -hmm. um so i mean first of all abria abria eingar as i want to say that's how you say her last name i'm not sure but you know she's our our dm so it doesn't have a player um oh and i guess maybe we could touch on who each of these people are a little bit uh i'll try to keep it brief but uh i don't think she's a voice actor maybe she is uh everyone else is for sure but i'm not i don't know if she is i do know that she is like a D professional player extraordinaire as it were she has been both dm and player on many online campaigns it because D and D online campaigns have become like a phenomenon. There's there's lots of them now. Uh, Critical Role certainly wasn't the first ever to do it, but they pretty much are what made it mainstream. Um, but anyway, Abria is has her toe in the realm everywhere. Um, so yeah, she's she's our GM, and um, I'll be interesting to see what you, what you thought of her GMing style. Obviously we've only had one episode, so it's not that much, but I, I can already tell like a vast difference from Matt having watched all of C1 and C2. Um, but, but not in a bad way. Like it's, it's kind of refreshing to see like a new, a new GM's mm-hmm. take on things. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we can pause there for a second. Cause it does feel like some of the criticism of episode one, um, Maybe it's unfair to say this, but it feels like some of the criticism has been basically it's not Matt. And and for me, as someone who I I, I love Matt Mercer, I think he's phenomenal. Um, I've probably watched maybe 40 episodes of the two campaigns combined. So I've watched a little bit of it. Um, he's amazing, he's incredible. But um I thought she was amazing. I thought she was great. I thought there was obviously some nerves from everyone. I mean, they said mm-hmm. as much in the intro. They said, "Wow, I'm I'm really nervous. Like this is really this is really big." And um, so I think there were some nerves in play. But um, I think her storytelling, the way she approaches it, um, I really, as someone who I guess maybe I I don't know any better, I thought, yeah, she did great. And uh, I'm really excited for the next seven episodes uh, under her direction. Yeah, me too. And the people that say it's not Matt and they're mad, 
screw those people, man. Like some people in any fandom just can't be satisfied. And it makes me so angry when like these toxic people and you can find them in any fan base. They're, they're, yeah. They'll find something to complain about. And it's just ridiculous. Like you have almost 300 episodes, like almost a thousand hours of content of Matt DMing. This is an eight episode new mini campaign. Just like accept some change. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it is a change. I mean, her, her style is something that I've noticed is she, for us as the people watching and seeing this happen, she sometimes calls, um, action over towards us, like as the audience, or she says maybe, um, specific framing of the, of a sentence might be something like the camera pans and shows, yes. um, unbeknownst because because a lot of matt's style has been you never quite know more than what the party themselves know you're sort of seeing it right. through their eyes as limited um as that can be and already she's mentioned a couple of times of even though the party's not seeing this happen you uh, or the camera for us as the audience we're seeing it happen which some people have been critical of that but i i like it because it kind of gives us our own little insight mm -hmm. or or even a sense of Maybe control is not the right word, but it's it's like oh we we're being acknowledged as part of this group as well, and it for me it just it grows my investment. Yeah, I mean it's it's something that only works on a D and D campaign that has a massive audience. You know, like that's not something right. you do in your home game just with your friends because it'd be like what. Right. But yeah, I, I actually liked that. I mean, and I love Matt's style too. So like it's I. I don't think Matt should start doing that, but I really enjoyed the change. And I, I, yeah, like you said, she even literally says the camera pans to. So it's just interesting mm -hmm. that she's got that mindset. Like this is a show, this is a movie. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was one of the most striking differences that I noticed, but I enjoyed. And like I, we already talked about, we got that post credit scene, which uh, it seems like it was even filmed separately from everything else so like right. i mean i have no way of knowing this but i imagine that none of the other players were even there when she was doing that uh, right. and they might not oh actually now that i'm saying this i think they did reveal that the none of the players even knew that that happened until the episode aired last thursday um so yeah love that and another i guess while we're here the other a couple other the changes that i noticed that i that i liked um again not to say that you know, I think Matt should start doing it this way. I probably don't need to give that disclaimer every time, but uh, <laughs> um, like when she's Matt, making Matt, Matt, while you're listening to this, we want you to know, <laughs> be you. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of her differences from Mercer is that uh, like when she was, and I don't remember the specifics, let's just call it a stealth check, even though I don't think that's what it was. Instead of like saying like, oh, you got an 18, you got a six, you got a bus. She just asked, did anyone roll below a 10? And that's right. how she handled it. Um, which is an interesting way to do it because, you know, now the players and the audience know that like, okay, 10 was what we needed to hit there. Whereas mm -hmm. Matt's kind of keeps that closer to the chest on what the, uh, the requirements were. Um, it's, he has a, a stronger sense of, um, ambiguity. It feels like mm -hmm. as to if you are succeeding or failing within the level of expertise you're being asked to show through this dice roll. And again, yes. for me, um, even though I have a preference for one of those styles, for me, I just chalk it up to, again, just differences in how someone's deciding to tell the story. Right. And I just, I just realized that I don't think we I ever mentioned this when I was explaining D&D, &D, which is, uh, this was bad. I should have mentioned this, but everything is determined by the roll of a dice. 
and mostly it is a, a d20 which means a 20-sided dice so and there there are several dice several different sided dice that you use in D&D but mostly a d20 and so when you when you want to try to do something in the story you know whatever it may be it, your, your imagination is the only limit the success or failure of what you're trying to do is determined by that dice. So that's what I meant when she said, like, did anyone roll below a 10 in case mm-hmm. someone out there is really confused on why we're talking about numbers all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on that same note, uh, another thing I liked that she did was um, when the players were, you know, describing what they were doing or what they wanted to do, um, you know, in a, in a normal circumstance, that might be a very clear, like, hey, make a perception check. And that's what you would do. But uh, Abria a couple times was like, all right, cut me off a slice of what you're trying to do. And then she might change what was called for based on the flavor or the flair that the player provided. Like, I think at mm-hmm. one point, Amy, as Opal, uh, was trying to see what was going on. And she's like, what do you do? And she's like, uh, I put my ear to the to the bottom of the boat. And so then it became a perception check and instead of whatever it was going to be. Uh, but right. I liked that. I like that she gives the players kind of agency in that way to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, make it their own. And part, uh, I think I think part of that, too, is is she's being a great DM in trying to essentially allow the players to be part of this adventure, even when they don't necessarily have the tools or the skill set to, I don't want to say not play it well. I mean, everyone's playing it well, but, but going back to Opal, for example, there were a couple of lines where she asked like, okay, what, which dice do I roll here? What do I do here? And, and obviously everyone at the table, they're, they're doing a great job. Um, I'm excited for each of their stories, but everyone has a different level of experience in terms of, of D and D. Right. For example, um, uh, Caleb, uh, excuse me, Liam O'Brien, Caleb, (laughs) Liam (laughs) O'Brien has been doing a weekly, um, Twitch stream D and D session literally every week. And so he's gotten, um, same with Ashley Johnson, they've gotten significant numbers of hours in on a weekly basis. And not that other people haven't, but part of that comment on, you know, give me a slice of what you're trying to do is there's nothing more frustrating than being a player and not fully grasping the boundaries Mm -hmm. of a situation and then trying to do something, but because you didn't frame it right, you didn't describe it right, the DM says, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. And then you're frustrated and you're like, okay, well, I just wasted my turn, I guess. So I think she's doing a great job of engaging with the players so that they feel like they have a sense of agency. Like this is okay. I want to, I want to, I want to see if I hear anything below me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you do this and you do a perception. Okay. Yep. I got it. I think that that's what makes a great DM. Um, and it's something I, I really enjoyed sort of that, that her, her, um, I guess really just being willing to step in and help guide the players rather than Matt is a lot more, what are you doing? Okay. Here's kind of how it plays out. Um, It's less you can and you can't do that. And more of, okay, I'm going to figure out how to make that work. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I don't, I don't have much else on what I've noticed in like the, the main differences in their DMing style. But one other thing I want to say on her before we potentially move on to the players, um, unless you have something is that she's just, I love her descriptions, which is what Matt is amazing at as well. She is, yep. she is very descriptive and does a great job of mm-hmm. like painting a picture, which I mean, that's, 
that's the number mm-hmm. one thing from a dm at least in my opinion that i would enjoy mm-hmm. so i've I've loved that she's kind of keeping that that same mm-hmm. high bar for that one last thing i want to mention before we move on to talking about the players is mm-hmm. um it feels like matt is a lot more uh, i don't want to use i hate using the word comfortable because i don't i don't think that abria is uncomfortable but there is space in Matt's world for the players to really do and whatever they do, whatever they want. And the perfect example of this would be before the battle in the warehouse, Abria essentially says, you know, you sense this presence and they chase you into the warehouse and she decides for them, Hey, you're moving into the warehouse, which in Matt's world, it would have been a lot more open-ended. Yes. I've, I've read of this as a criticism of like, she's too controlling on what happens. But, but what I will say, if you've, if you've heard a criticism like that, or you have a criticism like that, remember this is an eight episode story. And so it has a, it has a beginning, it has a middle and it has an end. And essentially we are part of the, of the journey of, of seeing this story unfold. And so there, I don't think there's anything that's like, oh, I like that as a style choice or I don't. I think it's more of in some ways things have to move forward uh, just for the right. sake of telling a whole story. Just so we don't get to episode eight and we're like, okay, they they went to the shop in the town and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which can happen in a DNA session where nothing really quite happens. Um, for me, it, for me, it was important because I know as I watched that, that was a sticking point for me where I was like, Ooh, that was interesting. And then seeing some comments on Reddit, I was like, okay, yes, this makes perfect sense. And I actually really appreciate this style of storytelling. Yeah. I like, like you just said, they just, they don't have the luxury of, you know, like a campaign one or campaign two in critical role. That was literally hundreds of episodes like this is a an eight episode arc. So and what what people call it sometimes in D&D when the DM kind of like kind of nudges you a certain way or makes you do a certain thing is called railroading. And I feel like that kind of has like a negative connotation and I know a lot of people were saying like oh she railroaded them a lot, which I don't agree with that, but I do agree like with what you said like uh when she kind of forced them into the warehouse and stuff like that, which uh not to run into just repeating myself territory but mm-hmm. um you know it's like you said and we've got a story that we got to tell and i think also it's probably some nerves like yes she's in a very experienced dm and mm-hmm. with dungeons and dragons but like she's been handed the ro- the reins of like the most popular dungeons right. and dragons stream there is and like not only that but the guy who created it is one of the players at her table so like you know it'd be like if you were writing a short story about middle earth and tolkien was like yeah like sitting there <laughs> over your shoulder watching you do it right um, right that's right because it is it's matt's world he's mm-hmm. created this world um and and I feel I feel almost bad that we've talked this long about it because for someone who maybe is newer to Critical Role, it it almost gives the impression that that Abria did a bad job because it's like oh well here's really why you know and and that that is, can't be further from the truth. I mean she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, it's it's just that a lot of of Will and I's conversation ends up in similar places as other really passionate fans. And like Will said earlier, wherever you have a passionate fan base, you're going to have people who, frankly, just they aren't able to communicate criticisms in, a, in an effective way. Um, and also, you have people who 
who they DM their own campaigns. They have a very specific style. And even with Matt Mercer, uh, I feel like Matt Mercer is consistently having to be like, Hey, that's not the story we're telling. Sorry. You know, I'm sorry that you don't yeah. like that. Um, so, so if you're, if you're newer to the show, please know, I, I don't want it to come across that she did a bad job or like we're, we're apologizing for her or anything. She did freaking phenomenal. Yeah. But part of this part of this format of our show is we are talking about, okay, what did we think about this? What are some things that we've heard and what is us as the pixelist? What is our take on that? Yeah. So, yeah. And not that we even need to say it again, but I will loved it i love her she is amazing and yep. you know totally. and I, I think this is if anything a criticism on the format not her like you know she has to make sure the story is told in eight episodes and that's going to take a little bit of pushing here and there yep um yep. and and well, just go ahead. I was just one final thing on this is that matt mercer himself says this all the time like you know your table's not our table you're like don't try to be me like if you're gonna go dm for your friends like you're, you're not me so do your own thing and everybody has their own style and that's what makes it awesome you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well um this episode's already been really long yes. um let's let's do just like maybe a quick take personal opinions on the characters um who's your favorite from episode one Oof. but matt for sure uh Dariax. um i just i'm so happy that we get to see him as a player and like i've seen him in one shots which just means like sometimes they'll do little special episodes that are just one episode and that's it so he he's sometimes been a player in situations like that but he has never been a player for a whole like story arc that takes place over multiple episodes. So we actually get to see Matt like flesh out his own character and tell a story over a longer period of time. And uh and I just love the fact that he <laughs> decided to go with like a like a dumb charismatic doofus and it's just amazing <laughs> to see him like play that so well. <laughs> Especially well, I- as someone who you know, and I, I don't, Matt would never metagame in this way, but he created this world. Like he knows probably almost everything about it. And yet he's like, okay, I'm going to make an idiot. You know, <laughs> I heard a, I read that there was a bit of a stereotype that when GMs play, finally play characters, they typically always end up playing total doofuses. And part of it is to like show the players like, yeah, this is what it feels like. But um, some of the comments I was reading on Reddit was like, were people saying things like, I love how this is basically that walking stereotype that he is um, the goofy, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, very obviously not very smart or bright, but but very um, affable and fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, when when someone messes with him, he's like, ah, you got me. You know, it's just it's a lot bounces off him. But then there's this other side of him uh, where Pasca has lied to him or gets a sense that she's lied to him where he gets more serious and there's a depth there to him uh, where he even says, I don't like it when people lie to me. Mm-hmm. And so that that goofiness has totally like disintegrated. And now there's this um, the character that you essentially don't want to mess with or get on his bad side. So, uh, yeah, good character for sure. Yeah. And do you want to give a quick like. Do we want to talk about each of the characters real quick, or what do you think? Like maybe briefly, just for the sake of time. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to do the best that I can, and then you can you can add in um, what you want to add. Um, so we have Dorian Storm, who's the Air Genasi. 
Um, he is a bard. Um, he's a bit unlike what we see as the stereotypical bard, which is um, the showman. And instead, he's a bit more, um, I don't know the wording for it. He's a bit calmer than what I would expect from a bard. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not necessarily the, the showrunner of the party. And he's almost like the person who he helps hatch out the ideas. Like they're having conversation and he jumps in and says, what do we think about this? Um, not like necessarily the new idea person, but he, he definitely freely gives his opinion. This is what I think about it. I'm very comfortable around the party. And um, for the most part, seems trustworthy. In fact, we actually know that his um, alignment is chaotic good from when he tells the DM, when he picks up the box, he says, I'm chaotic good. Um, which it, for those who aren't familiar, chaotic good is essentially, um, um, the good, the good, the, the greater good, even if we break the rules along the way, um, or, or sort of like a means to an end type approach. Um, did I describe that correctly? Yeah, Ray? I think so. I, I don't know too much about alignments, um, cause Matt doesn't really use them in his campaigns. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. So we have him, um, we have Dariax, who is the lovable dwarf uh, that we already talked about. Um, his weapon of choice is a spear. We know that because the, f- the start of the episode is largely him trying to figure out <laughs> who peed on his spear. And when he finally does, he's like, all right, cool. Nice. <laughs> so um, talked about him. Um, Orem is a halfling. He is um, uh, presumably the... Um, Noble's not the right word, but maybe the most moral of the group because he's the For one sure. who has the biggest issue with going and stealing. Yeah. We also aren't totally sure of his motive because the episode opens up with him. He's sort of on a walk around the town and he's he's curious and it's almost like he's searching for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he might end up being the um, unspoken leader of the group. Uh, and I is one of my favorites only because it's, um, I think Liam is just so gifted at just different characters. Um, we have Fern Calloway who has a pet monkey named, yes. uh, Mr. or Mr. Monkey. Mr. Mr. I think. Yeah. And, um, she is, um, uh, Druid. Yeah, yeah, right. I was thinking about her character, though. I mean, oh, she's um, uh, not mischievous at all. She's, I'd say, like, curious. Um, she seems very polite and calm and sweet, uh, maybe a bit meek, almost. I think um, she's got a, a dark side. She might. She might. We'll see. She does. It's, <laughs> interestingly enough, she's one of the only characters that we don't get the alignment revealed. So I think that's a great insight of yours. Um, but she has, uh, her mister, uh, she has the monkey mister on her shoulder. Who's her companion. And, uh, I love how Ashley Johnson has, um, Pike was one of my favorites from campaign one. And so the voice is very similar and I'm just like, Oh, it's just, it's just buttery smooth. She's just a great <laughs> voice actor. She really is. They all are, but yeah. Um, and then lastly, we have Opal, who is a human warlock. Um, she has, um, uh, I don't know if she called it an opal, uh, hair color, but she did describe it as translucent or almost, um, shimmering. Iridescent. She used that word a lot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, definitely. Um, I don't know the age of Opal, but I got the sense of young, um, kind of a prankster, um, giddy, 
uh, a, a bit pairs really well with Dariax. Um, definitely doesn't seem like the most serious of the party, um, but really seems to be enjoying the ride. So, anything you'd add across those characters? Um, not really. I mean, I I could we could go into some stuff, but I think it'll be just like little things we talk about as opposed to just giving the, the quick overview here. But I will say that I, I love them all and. You already mentioned it with Ashley, but just the voice acting is so good. And I know if you're new to this or if you're new to these people, you might just think voice acting, they're like they're just using their voices. But uh if once you get to know these people, you'll know that like that's not their voice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of notice it if when they're talking like out of context, out of game, like, hmm, what should I do? And then like, oh well, rah, 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 you know. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I love it. I'm loving everyone so far. There is there is no Kermit the Frog in this yeah. <laughs> in this, but it is it is amazing how talented they are because they can their voices sometimes do go from from um one end of the spectrum to the other. Um let's talk about what happened in this episode. Um hang on, I'm about to call. Yeah, and uh, just I know you can't see this right now, but uh, I'm throwing up the official artwork of uh, the characters on the on the screen right now, so everybody can take a look at it. It's just freaking beautiful. It really is, and that's one of my favorite parts of the show. Actually, I was watching it. My wife had walked through the room, and it was the the mid episode break where, as they're wrapping up the break and the advertisements, they go back to the art. And I turned around and said, "This is honestly my favorite part: is the art of the show, um, the fan art, the things that people draw and create is some of the coolest, compelling stuff." Um, let's talk about the episode. Yeah. It, it feels like <laughs> we did a recap already. It feel and I I don't want to necessarily boil it down and imply that some of it was like wasted time because it really wasn't. It was pretty amazing, but there were two. It seemed like two big moments that happened. One was the the stealing of the circlet. The other was the stealing of the residuum. I'd love mm-hmm. to get your take on both of those because as someone who's never seen or been too deep in with critical role, I had to do some digging on exactly what was happening here. And I walked away with the sense of, Holy crap. Like these are really massive decisions. Um, talk to us a little bit about what, what, what was your take on what was happening in both of those scenes? Um, okay. I guess let's start with the, the circlet. Um, well, just kind of, meta note i think it's so cool and maybe this is a product of being an eight episode thing but so cool how like these seemingly big things are already happening like that that circlet to me seems like some sort of cursed like magical it's like magical item because not only was it on this eerie ship where everyone had been killed and was seemingly what the bad guys were after Mm -hmm. um you know, then it has literal people like still hunt them after they take it. And it, it, it seemed like every time now I, question for you, did it seem like um, at, at that moment when they were trying to transition it from the crate to the cape that the like because it had been opened? Is that why they showed up all right then? Like they like if it was like sending out a signal or something, or do you think that was just coincidence that like right when they opened the crate to dump it out, like that's when they got attacked? No, I think you're onto something because I think, um, Abria even made a note that when they were making that handoff, which, um, I didn't mention this in the recap, but they decided, Hey, this box is not conspicuous enough. And they wanted Dariax to basically wrap it up in his cloak and wear it on his back. Um, Abria makes this note that when they do this, and this is what's interesting. You use the word cursed. 
she mentioned it earlier in the episode that it seemed like people were sort of unwittingly keeping their distance from the ship, like almost like this unconscious sensing of, I need to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. But she mentions again at this moment that when this happens, again, people outside of this little nook of um, a string of warehouses, that people again start to skirt away from that spot. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of think of it as like, um, Lord of the Rings, you know, anytime Frodo puts on the ring, uh, it, it basically gives up his position. Um, it did, I did get that vibe, uh, as well. Yeah. So I, I just, I can't wait to see, like, I'm just guessing it's cursed based on like what you just said. And the fact that it made the, the good aligned characters throw up, like seems like something a cursed object would do. So mm-hmm. I, I want to know what it is. I want to know what it does. And I want to know why these people want it so bad. And what, what's what I'm curious about is so Posca, the one that sent them on this journey, you know, she just told them to go steal something. You know, she didn't say go steal that. So right. part of me is wondering, like, is it just a coincidence that they found that? But at the same time, the reason they went on that ship is because they saw the the symbol that she had showed them outside that dock. So like that boat was marked by Posca's organization. Uh, But again, she didn't ever tell them to like, go get that. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious. Well, my only, and this, I may be wrong. My only point of contention, because it felt like even the players were confused about this. So I might've walked away being confused myself. It seemed like she was saying the, like the masts of the shipyard were marked with it. And it was almost spanning a multitude of ships not necessarily that one but it may have also been that one i'm not sure no i think you're right uh the way i and who knows i guess but the way i imagined it was like it's a big dock right and there's different like boardwalks on the dock i imagine the symbol was like at the end of one of the boardwalks so there might be like four ships attached to that boardwalk. yeah yeah but this is like i mean why am i going to go to farmer joe's (laughs) ship instead Mm -hmm. of you know this one so can we talk about what we think this is? I mean, I, I did some reading myself. It seems like Reddit's kind of figured it out. I don't know how much reading you've done. Um, would, this, would this be okay for the episode, or should we hold off? No, I think that's great. I, I, I did not. Like, I have no idea. Like, if it's a specific magical item that, like, is from one of the source books or something that people are aware of, I have no idea what that is. Uh, okay. I did not so look you're into okay. that. You're okay if we get into this conversation. Sure. Because I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you. No, yeah. no, no, that's fine. And like we said, like spoiler warning, I guess, if that's not something that you want to be revealed, yeah. but you know, I'm sure that I wouldn't be surprised if she completely, you know, started with said item and then made lots of changes to it or, you know, whatever. So, mm-hmm. so what Reddit has seemingly arrived to is that this is the circlet of barbed vision and it's one of the vestiges of divergence. Oh, uh, Upon, and I didn't know what any of this was because okay, I didn't I know do. <laughs> either of the campaigns. <laughs> it's one of the vestiges of divergence. Upon wearing the circlet of gnarled onyx, black barbs dig into the wearer's head, imparting power and twisting the wearer's appearance to amuse the spider queen. And Ooh. so I did some reading on what the heck a vestige is. Yeah. From what I gathered, there was some like calamity or war something from like gods and like these are like the artifacts that are left over that are scattered across uh exandria yes that's about all i got 
So, yeah. and then it can be one and two, I guess they come across some of these, but many of them still have not yet been um, found. Correct. They are um, vestiges of divergence. So I don't, I'm not speaking about the circlet because, you know, we'll find out what that is. Uh, but vestiges of divergence are essentially like, imagine them as like legendary items. And uh, like, yeah, it, 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 we go into the deep lore with kind of like where they came from. But you're right. Like there was this event called the Calamity. It's all about like the gods and they are vestiges of that time and they hold immense power because they're from that time so that's really interesting so like like i said i didn't look into any of this but yeah that that if it's a vestige of divergence that means matt created it and it's from like one of matt's books not like i, I was thinking maybe like D like the player's handbook or whatever people right. were pulling from that but no if they're pulling from matt then that probably is exactly what it is super interesting though the spider queen is I, don't the know, I don't know who that from... is. Oh, okay, okay. I, I mean, didn't know she... the Spider Queen were from a previous campaign or. Um, it maybe I'm just like kind of brain farting and don't remember, but uh, um, I I don't like I don't think it's been mentioned, but yeah, uh, okay. it's definitely okay. something from the world because if you know, like I just said, if it's a vestige, that means it's all from Matt's world. So the Spider I can, Queen, I can only. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, I was just saying the Spider Queen must be something from Exandria, but it just hasn't been yeah revealed yet i uh i only let myself read so much because <laughs> i think i'm gonna go back and watch uh campaign two at some point and so i didn't want to get too much into it mm-hmm. um for me it's really exciting that from episode one the stakes are presumably mm-hmm. incredibly high if yeah. this item is uh and I, what i read was that there's 21 total scattered across exandria if it is one of these items, it is a legendary item. It's not like some random thing they've found. The stakes are incredibly high, even from episode one. And uh, it's already, it doesn't seem like the most moral group. I say that in the sense of, it's not like your typical high fantasy, um, everyone is this noble for the good of all mankind type character. So I'm curious to see what, because there even was a conversation of like, well, maybe we should give this to them. You know, mm-hmm. and Fern was like, "Okay, hang on, are we are we really talking about giving this to them?" Because like, it, not and not even so much like she was saying it would be wrong to. It was just that this seems like a big deal. Yeah, like, are we really going to give this away? Um, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, me too. Uh, and like you said, they basically, with the exception of Orum, and to a lesser extent Dorian, they all seem pretty morally gray at this point, or at the very right. least, neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to make for an interesting dynamic and, and it already kind of has, um, which I don't want to move over to the, to the other thing yet until we we're finished here, but, uh, more on that when we talk about the residual. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, maybe it's, a, maybe it is a great time to segue to that unless you have more to say about the circlet. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess not really. It, it's especially hearing that it's a, a potentially a vestige of a divergence. That's just super interesting. And yeah, like you said, the stakes are already high and kind of on that note, uh, just the fact that Abria put that in front of them, but then also what I thought was really cool is, you know, they're like, all right, we we loot the coins, and she's like, it's five hundred platinum, which is like mm-hmm. an insane amount of money. It's like for a level two party, that's equivalent to five thousand gold, which would like I, I don't really know how to quantify that for somebody who's not familiar with it, but it is insane. Mm-hmm. Like so, I was like, dang, she just gave them this much money. Set. It seems like they're set for the entire. Campaign. yeah like seemingly and so mm-hmm. 
And then also in, in the bottom of the ship where they found the circlet, there's a freaking Onkeg, which is like a very powerful monster. So I just thought like there's so much cool flavor and stuff that's already being mm -hmm. injected that you would think you would never in a million years see with a level two mm -hmm. party. Well, and we even see in the warehouse that the Thieves Guild is a collector of all sorts of things, including exotic pets. Yep. And there's an Onkeg um, pupa or larvae or something. Yeah, like a baby uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about the residuum. Help me understand exactly, because I haven't done too much reading on it. W what is residuum? What's the, um, the weightiness of them having discovered this? Um, cause the, the stakes were already high with the circlet and what's implied to me is here's just another huge, massive thing that they've discovered. So we just talked about how much 500 platinum was residuum's worth more than that. Like residuum is, is probably the most precious resource in Exandria, at least that we've been made aware of. Like there might be something else that's worth a lot more, but that, that's ever been on screen as it were. Um, and what essentially what it is is like a, it's a natural uh it's like a i don't know if mineral is the correct word or not but it's imagine like a rock or you know like like there's diamonds and then there's residuum if that makes sense yeah. and mm -hmm. essentially what it is is like a like a think of it like a PED like a performance enhancing drug like it's you in in the realm of magic and all that stuff you 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 need different components to cast spells. And this just is like the mechanics of D and D like yeah. you might need a hundred gold worth of gold dust to cast this powerful spell. Um, residuum can replace any component. That's how powerful it is. Um, so like if you need this, this or this residuum can do it all. Um, wow. And it also not only like can serve as components, but it can also serve as like an enhancement. So that's where I got the the PED from is like, think of it, you know, like steroids for a weightlifter. Uh, residuum just boosts everything and it's good for everything. Um, so is it is it like, again, as the person is totally naive to it, is it is it something you... Do you, do you crush it up and eat it? I mean, is it... Or is it like an infinity stone where like you hold it and now you have just more power i mean what is what exactly how does it work we've seen lots of different applications there's some okay. we've seen touches of like people like literally injecting themselves with it like you can't just get a rock and like eat it i don't think and that would do anything uh but like they mentioned in the episode it is also used to create a drug named sued which you know if you ingest that your stuff's gonna happen to you but i don't think okay. if you just like ingested raw residuum anything would happen uh, yeah, but okay. yeah you can like if you process it correctly, I think you can like inject it or like embed it into you and enhance your abilities. Um, you can make a drug out of it. Uh, but it, it is um, a natural resource basically, but it, it does need to be processed. I think yeah, um, okay. at least for most uses, but yeah, it's, it's like, think of it like diamond dust basically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so the, the stakes of them having discovered it, is it implied then that this is such a powerful resource that it, it feels a bit wrong to go the arc of um, this is too powerful to be in someone else's hands? It does seem like Orem felt a bit um, taken advantage of. That it's, I guess what my understanding is that you can find it naturally in his hometown or home area. 
and felt like his people were being, um, maybe even without their knowledge, were being taken advantage of to harvest this really precious resource. Okay, well, you know, and and scholars of Exandria and critical role don't jump down my throat if I'm saying something wrong here. But from my understanding is that um, residuum, it, it comes from, well, actually, I won't say that just in case. Spoiler. But I don't think it's from where Orum, like it isn't harvested unless something has changed where Orum's okay. from, but it was meant to go to where he's from. That was my oh, understanding. Is that okay. like had like his symbol of Zephra, which is where he's from, the the land of the Arashari, and um, it it was for them, not from okay. them. I think. Okay. So okay, I think yeah. he was just mad that like this very precious resource and a lot of it, like that. That's. I don't want to get crazy here, but I'm thinking like millions, maybe worth of gold. If if this whole warehouse is full of it, hmm. like, you know, that's be like if if somebody stole your whole economy from from a small country or something i don't know but yeah um yeah he, he clearly is upset by it and uh mm -hmm. it seems like that's the direction we're going is you know he wants to he wants to take this information to the fire ashari which there's if you've ever seen avatar the last amber airbender there's earth fire uh air and water the four like elements in in exandria there are these tribes and each of them are like kind of all around whatever element they are right and orum seem is seemingly from the air ashari um so the fire ashari live nearby to where everyone is right now so he's like i'm gonna take this to the fire ashari because like they're part of our kind of global tribe i trust them and they can then get word to the air ashari my people and you know we'll figure this out basically yeah. So any guesses? I mean, we, we our episode has been going about an hour and a half now. <laughs> where, where does this go from here in terms of leading up to episode two? We're actually really close to it. Episode two is going to air um, tomorrow night from when we're recording this episode. But by the time this episode is live, probably gonna be the day of. Um, what's your guess and what happens next? Man, I don't know what what's what's interesting. And I, again, I won't be spoiler here, but. Uh, Orum himself a couple times in the episode referenced a a her or a she and um, I have a I have a feeling on who that could be and I think it might be somebody from one of the first campaigns which would be super interesting um, yeah I don't know if I should say this I mean I guess it's not really a spoiler it's just the name of somebody but uh, it, it would be really it starts with a K for anyone that knows then there you go uh, I think that could be really interesting, but it seems like if that is who he's talking about, then it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I really just don't even know. I mean, uh, they might mm. not even make it to the fire Ashari. Like they might get ambushed mm. before then and just taken in a whole new direction. But clearly Posca knows what's, she knows what's up based on that like end teaser that we got. So I wonder how much time had passed. Maybe she catches up with them before they can even do anything. Right. I don't know, but it's so interesting. But yeah, the Orum, the moral compass of the group has kind of decided what they're doing. They all were like, okay, you know, we'll follow you here. Um, I, I just don't know. I know it's a terrible answer, but 
No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we haven't been given a lot to go on in terms of like breadcrumbs of like, ooh, I wonder what that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just enjoying the ride. And hopefully for you, the listeners, uh, hopefully you're enjoying the ride too and you're here with us on it. Uh, I'd love to hear in the comments or you can sw- tweet at us as well, letting us know what your expectations are for not just episode two, but the rest of, I keep wanting to call it the rest of the season, but uh, the rest of this campaign, this mini campaign. And uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just excited for the journey. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about with episode two. Yeah, so much more. And like, I don't know, bear with us on this. Like we said, we're we're new to this in general, but definitely never have tried to tackle a four and a half hour piece of content. So I know we probably we took a while to get going here tonight. So hopefully we we figure it out. But yeah, bear with us. And we'll we'll definitely be rocking our Exandria Unlimited merch um in our future episodes as well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Anything else you want to add? Uh, man, I feel like I had a bunch of little things, but I don't, I don't really know anymore. Uh, I guess we could just, we'll, we'll tune in next time. I guess I could get more organized. Yeah. I guess also anything we forgot to mention, we can tack it on maybe to the start of our next episode on some other details that we've been thinking about that lead us up to episode two. We'll see what it's called and when it debuts tomorrow night. Yes, sir. All right. For our listeners, don't forget, you can tweet at us at PXLists. That's our PixList handle, at PXLists on Twitter. Uh, my man Will manages that account, and his meme game is prime. It's pristine. <laughs> so you'll have to enjoy that as well. Just know there are going to be some spoilers from other shows that we cover, most notably Loki is what we've been talking about lately. Uh, but we'll be back after episode two talking about more of the great stuff that's happening in Exandria Unlimited. Thanks for following us. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We'll catch you later. Yeah. And sorry, I don't want to ruin your great ex- exit there, but <laughs> I do want to say that, hey, hit me, hit us up on Twitter. Give us, if you got questions, you know, guide us we can talk about that stuff and also shout out to all my homies on the critical role discord you got any questions hit us there and we'll definitely do it and uh one last thing though we gotta do our thumbnail homie oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> um i i already know mine because i think i typically play mostly good characters okay um, i'm just not big on like the hobo killer you know type archetype mm-hmm. so um i'm i typically you know even if it's questionable means i typically like going towards the direction of the right decision so i think i'm gonna do like a like a you know type as if i'm like holding oh. the circuit or something <laughs> okay so uh, actually maybe people who like see the thumbnail they would be like this episode suck like <laughs> no, it'll, it'll work because I'll, I'll, okay. I'll 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 cosplay i guess dairy and be fine okay okay <laughs> okay all right i got it <laughs> <laughs> all nice. right thanks for tuning in we'll catch you guys later peace out